Welcome to Portfolio Managers Questions, the production of Eurizen SLJ Capital that takes a look at the macroeconomic backdrop and specific areas of interest across FX, fixed income, credit and equity space from a portfolio manager perspective, recorded for professional investors. My name is Neil Staines and I'm Senior Portfolio Manager with Eurizen SLJ. And today I'm joined by Alan Wilson, a Portfolio Manager in Emerging Market Debt and FX. Welcome, Alan. Hi, how are you doing? Good, thank you. So, I mean, starting from a, you know, a high-level, top-down macro view of the world, if you will, uh, last time we spoke, we discussed some of our core macro thematic views, such as the positive global growth outlook, despite persistent COVID pressures. But a recovery that, unlike the synchronous recovery from the GFC, is likely to demonstrate significant global economic differentiation. You know, a differentiation that's exaggerated by the supply and demand imbalances, and of course, differentiated by the significant monetary and fiscal response. Now, how are you seeing that play out across EM? Thanks, Neil. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. I think that the recovery we're seeing now is completely different to the one that we've seen in the GFC. You know, there's going to be significant regional divergences, and I think the United States will lead the way. It's the most dynamic, large economy in the world, and I think it will recoil from the pandemic stronger and more resilient. But under, underneath the, the vigor of the US economy, you know, we've got the, the ongoing fiscal stimulus, um, which just continues to grow. So I think the US is, is likely to be on, on, on course for its fastest pace of growth in the last 50 years. Um, but I don't think the US is the only case of the sort of exceptionalism in the world at the moment. You know, China's largely passed the recovery baton to the US, but I, I still see both economies outstripping the rest of the world over the course of this year. You know, China's further ahead in its recovery from the pandemic, but you know, it's still stimulating. Both fiscal and, and, and credit policy remain stimulative. So I think China is in a good place alongside the US. In terms of the emerging markets, I think you know they're very likely to lag um, these two big economies. You know, while emerging markets should continue to benefit from increasing cyclicality. And ongoing demand for commodities and construction machinery, I think others will remain highly exposed to, you know, vaccine shortfalls, and the shallow economic recoveries, and potentially fiscal slippage as a result. So, drawing this um, macro calibration together, I think it's still a challenging backdrop for the emerging markets. U.S. and to a degree China exceptionalism, exceptionalism is still going to result in tests of the accommodative policy stance of the Fed. You know, I think that could result in, in, in core market yield pressure and episodic pressure on emerging markets. So for us, we remain selective. Um, we continue to favour emerging markets which have strong underpinnings to withstand the more challenging backdrop. Um, and those are the emerging markets which should have a strong beta to the, the cyclicality and the demand for commodities and capital goods. And we're also looking at for emerging market which have you know s- strong fiscal dynamics solid fiscal dynamics the monetary policy capacity as you mentioned and also steeper curves and higher real yields absolutely i think it's a it's a, it's a fascinating backdrop at the moment and, and you know certainly we talk about differentiation in relation to uh, the u.s economy and and the, the u.s rates are a really key part of this. You know, it's it's all very well for higher steeper curves, which we would agree with uh, in the US. And, uh, you know, you can argue, you can make the case that actually uh, yields are still very low relative to the US recovery situation, but that that base level of US rates may not be so accommodative for the the, the rest of the world, particularly as that rallies. And I think, you know, from a, um, a macro perspective, certainly from a DM perspective, we could apply 
uh, a similar backdrop across Europe with bond yields uh, recently rallying uh, up towards the, the heady heights of zero. Uh, but, uh, you know, those levels putting pressure on uh, peripheral yields and even uh, ultimately potentially credit spreads. So I think that that's, uh, that's uh, you know, the, the differentiation playing out on a number of levels uh, throughout. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, the, the core market yields are the key here um, for emerging markets. And I, I agree also that, you know, they haven't actually moved that far. When you, when you look at the recovery that which is playing out in the US, I mean, as I mentioned before, it's, it's probably going to be on, on course for the fastest pace of, of growth in, in, in almost 50 years. So I, I, for choice, think yield pressure is probably upwards than downwards here. And, you know, for us, that, that should result in, in episodic pressure points in emerging markets. Now, that's not to say, you know, I'm too gloomy. I think cautious is the right word, but I still think there's, there's, there's money to be made in our asset class. And, it, and I think it's just all about that selectivity. We're looking for um, the markets that have the, the, the right insulation um, to essentially protect, protect them from, from the sort of challenging backdrop. So, yeah, I, I think cautious but selective in emerging markets is the right way to look at it, in, in, in my view. Great stuff. In the macro space, obviously, you know, we, we've, we, as we've mentioned, we are focused on this uh, U.S. outperformance against the, the rest of DM into the pandemic. And this positive differentiation obviously uh, favours the U.S. But more recently, you know, we've had the surprise big miss in, uh, in the U.S. employment report. And that adds complication to the expression of this view. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the same time, the increasing debate and, and uh, recently uncertainty among some of the Fed commentators about the impact of inflation and the relative transiency of inflation. I think, you know, our core view that inflation is going to feel very real uh, ex ante, but uh, the reality of sustained inflation ex post is, is, is not really a, a strong argument from our perspective. Uh, yeah, but is this uh, kind of implicit taper talk delay a positive uh, for the EM backdrop? And how do you see that involving? Yeah, I, I think you're spot on again. I mean, the the employment numbers at the tail end of last week were, were a big surprise. You know, it certainly wrong-footed a lot of the market by um, all accounts. You know, I would use the word tumultuous to describe the first quarter for emerging markets. But I think, you know, as we've seen a little bit of stability in core market yields and in the dollar, and, you know, I think that is going to be reinforced by the, the data miss that we've seen last week. There has been some signs of stability creeping into emerging markets. And, you know, as we mentioned at the start of the, of the conversation, you know, the, the core market yields and the dollar is, is, is almost a pressure release valve for the emerging markets. The emerging market pressure has sort of started to come off a little bit, and we have seen some tentative co-dipping into the asset class. I would describe it as more arithmetic or mechanical, if anything, based on these core market moves. I would still say that the broader tone in emerging markets is cautious. Um, I think it's worth checking out HSBC's positioning and flow data, actually. It's, I mean, it is really good for a sort of canary in the coal mine for demand in emerging markets. And it shows that, you know, the, the flow into the asset class is still light and there are still record cash balances on hand. So to me, I, I still think the overall environment is cautious, even though we have seen a step back from, the, the I guess, the concerns around the taper tantrum. I would actually say the, um, the concerns for the emerging markets are, are probably a little bit more idiosyncratic at the moment as well. Um, you know, you've had some pretty negative comments or, or developments actually in, in, the, uh, in the LATAM, um, some political risk flaring up in Colombia and El Salvador. So I think that when you take all of that together, um, you know, there, been, there has been some, I guess, 
release of the pressure valve, but there is still things happening on the ground which which do continue to cloud emerging markets. So all in all, it's, it's still quite cautious in my opinion. That's great. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much, Anne. So just uh, moving on from there, you know, going back towards the kind of the virus and vaccine rollout, as you mentioned, you know, a number of Fed commentators have more uh, explicitly linked the progress towards uh, containment, if you will, not talking about eradication, but containment of the virus to be more of a determining factor in terms of monetary policy going forward. The the picture in the DM world is very much one of a recovery from the pandemic, uh, and there is certainly uh, a, a closer light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. But are there any uh, areas of specific concern from a pandemic perspective for you from uh, an EM perspective or, or areas where you're a little more cautious? Uh, and how does that fit with the monetary normalisation that we've started to see across some of the EM central banks? Yeah, I, I just just to reiterate the point at the start of the call, I mean, I think that, you know, there are elements of emerging markets which will likely lag the recovery in the core. You know, and I think a lot of that is to do with the, the lack of vaccination availability in those countries. Um, and one one case in point is India at the moment. And that, you know, has been in the headlines, but still, you know, remains a concern for us. Um, the COVID case count continues to surpass previous local and global peaks, you know, as the virus moves from Western and Central India to Eastern and Southern India. Um, the fatality rate remains low optically, but the sheer size of mortalities which is around about 3,500 people per day, is really high and quite concerning. The total reported cases in India now exceed 20 million. And the country is currently seeing an average of over 380,000 cases per day. So some quite worrying numbers there. Thankfully, over the, the, the most sort of recent few days, weeks, you know, the cases have fallen a little bit and the reproduction rate has inched a bit lower. So there are some sort of green shoots there. But I think to your point, I mean, work has to be done in the vaccination rollout. You know, in India specifically, it's running well below the global average. Um, and that's all to do with the supply side constraints. For India to vaccinate a critical mass, it would need to double its current rate of vaccinations to over 5 million a day. And, you know, we're just not there yet. So I think imports of new vaccines like Johnson & Johnson and even the Sputnik um, vaccine could help get India to a more sustainable plane. Even so, taking that quite negative outlook for the vaccines and the, the pandemic in India to one side, um, economic activity has actually remained quite um, resolute. You know, manufacturing PMI um, in particular has been really, really strong. So I think, you know, it's actually worth probably focusing on the mobility data. Um, you know, you, you can actually see that coming off a little bit in India. So all in all, there are some potential downside risks in India um, worth, worth keeping an eye on. And that is all all driven by the COVID dynamics that we discussed. I think, you know, the, the case counts in India are really, really important for markets, particularly in the case of the INR. Um, that is probably one of the most favoured EMFX positions of this year. And um, it's one we actually still like. We're sort of biased to fade the vaccine and uh, COVID headlines and, and still be biased to be long the INR. Um, we think India is a really strong structural case and it should benefit well from the global upswing that we're seeing at the moment. Thanks for that very much, Alan. There's plenty there to uh, reflect upon and focus on going forwards. Thank you, everybody, for joining this edition of PMQs. Further insights can be found via our website at eurizonsljcapital.com forward slash insights. And we look forward to you joining us again next time. Many thanks. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Neil.
The views expressed within this podcast were accurate as at the time of publication. Opinions expressed by the speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Horizon SLJ Capital Limited, Horizon Capital SGR, or the Intesa São Paulo Group.